Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first official episode of Keto Talk. I have an awesome speaker with us today. His name is Dr. Eric Kossoff, and he's a professor of neurology and pediatrics at John Hopkins in Baltimore, Maryland, USA, where he has been since 1998. He's a world leader in using diet therapies for neurological disorders. He's a medical director of the Pediatric Ketogenic Diet Center and director of the Child Neurology Residency Program at John Hopkins. He's co-authored the seventh edition of the Ketogenic and Modified Atkins Diets and helped organize both the 2008 and 2018 expert consensus guidelines on ketogenic diet management. Eric is passionate about bringing the use of diet therapies for neurological disorders to the entire world and has a list of accomplishments a mile long. Eric, we are very lucky to have you as our first guest on Keto Talk. And if you have not already, you can add expert podcaster to your resume. <laughs> Thanks, Allie. No, it's 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 really nice to be here. I'm honored to be uh, the first person on this podcast, which I'm very excited about and really eager to see all the other podcast episodes uh, in the future. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. With that, we're going to kick it off. you're new to our audience, we just want to let you know that each compact episode of Keto Talk is going to provide practice updates for anyone using or administering the ketogenic diet for epilepsy, migraines, bipolar disorder, cancer, and other medical conditions. Keto Talk has been endorsed by the Education Committee of the International Neurological Ketogenic Society, which we often refer to as INCS. If you have not heard of INCS, be sure to stick around to the end of, for the episode for more information on INCS and why becoming a member will help your career in ketogenic diet therapies. Great. Well, maybe maybe I'll introduce myself a little bit, Allie. Um, yeah. Like you know, as as you said, I, I'm I'm a professor of neurology and pediatrics. I am a card-carrying child neurologist. I came to the ketogenic diet kind of like late in my career of training. I had not heard about the ketogenic diet uh, during my medical school or pediatrics. And it was in my training as a child neurologist at Johns Hopkins that um, I spent some time with Dr. John Freeman and Dr. Patty Vining and learned about the ketogenic diet. I, I had really not been aware of it. Um, and I was blown away. This was probably about 2000. Uh, I was a, an epilepsy fellow uh, by the time I started doing some research in the diet. And I took over the ketogenic diet program here at Hopkins after Dr. Freeman retired. And it's really just, it's been a great part of my career. Um, I'm very invested in uh, education. I'm the residency director at Hopkins for the residents. And I want to make sure that what I had is not the case nowadays. I want them to be able to learn from the beginning all about the diet, take it with them wherever they go in the country or world as child neurologists. It's a therapy that really is incredible. Um, I handle our pediatric patients. Um, maybe for a future podcast, we can have my partner, Dr. Mackenzie Cervenka, who runs our adult program, uh, which has its own uh, unique opportunities and challenges. But I take care of kids. My specialty within that is really the youngest of the young kids. I take care of lots of infants with severe epilepsy and help put them on ketogenic diets to uh, help suppress their seizures and in some cases even cure them. Um, it's, it's been a great career and I'm, I'm still going strong <laughs> and, uh, just, you know, love doing research, love answering questions. You know, that's, I think why a lot of us went into medicine 
mm-hmm. you know, is to help people, but also to, you know, try to answer some of the tough questions. Uh, now, take for granted things that we were taught, but also say like, you know, does this make sense? Why are we doing things this way? You know, maybe like we could change things and see if it makes it easier and better for patients, um, you know, in order to stay on the diet, to be healthy on the diet and to find out maybe who should go on the diet and, and maybe who shouldn't go on the diet. So that's sort of been a big part of my career is trying to answer some of those uh, seemingly simple questions, but yeah, uh, not always so simple when you investigate them. A large part of our job, it feels like, is helping explain the diet to you know, patients, families who are not as familiar with it. So tell me, you know, from your perspective as someone who's very passionate about teaching, how you might explain the diet to a family who's never heard of it or how you might summarize where it started and, you know, how it's evolved over the years and make them kind of feel comfortable with that process for their child. Sure. Yeah. So this, this comes up quite a bit, Allie, you know, it's, it's not uncommon that, you know, I'm having a day in the office, I'm in my, at my desk working on a paper and I get a text or a call and someone says, Hey, if you're free, can you, you know, stop by and see this family? Um, We're interested in starting the diet for their child and wonder if you or your dietitian can stop by and talk to them. And, it's, it's an incredible time. You know, in, in 2024, a lot of people know about the ketogenic diet. They've heard of it. They're aware of it for weight loss, for obesity, metabolic syndrome, diabetes. Um, and so it's actually very different than when I started, where people had just absolutely no idea what it was. And now, if anything, people know and sometimes have a little bit of a misconception. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I actually find some of what I do when I talk to families is I acknowledge what the classic ketogenic diet, so to speak, that's out on on the news and in media is. But then I tell them that this is, you know, a medically supervised, very strict dietitian guided diet that is being done to help epilepsy. Uh, I do spend time explaining to them that it is not alternative. Uh, people think that it's an alternative therapy, but I make it very clear that it is like the medicines that the child is already getting. It is a medical therapy with definite risk um, and that we do it in the hospital. At least we do here at Hopkins in the hospital. Some centers will do it at home as an outpatient, but we do it in the hospital mostly for all the teaching, but also supervision to make sure the child is safe. So, you know, when I talk to a family, Ali, you know, I, I, I explain to them, you know, what the foods are. I tell them that it is a high fat diet and I give them examples of the foods and usually they nod and they understand and they say, oh, my child likes avocados and they like bacon and they like butter. Um, That's usually the easy part. But then I, I say, well, there's, you know, there's a downside and there are a lot of things that the child really either has to significantly limit or sometimes stop altogether. uh, And that's mostly carbohydrates. And so I explain to them what those carbohydrates are. Um, Sometimes that is the end of the discussion (laughs) for some of the families. (laughs) But a lot of times they're like, oh, I think that'll be okay. And, you know, I give them examples of things that can be made keto friendly, like pizzas and some rolls and breads and cookies. And a lot of them know about some of those keto products out there. And, you know, we do use them, of course, sparingly for our kids who are on various different ketogenic diets. Um, so I explained to them a little bit about what that's like. Um, I encourage them to go on the internet. I encourage them to buy some cookbooks because that's, I think, really the first step is just making sure that they understand what the foods are like. 
I then usually discuss the process. I tell them that at least at our center, we bring children into the hospital for usually 48 hours uh, in order to initiate the diet. I explain that we do some blood work, uh, that we gradually initiate it over a few days while checking blood sugars and checking urine ketones, explain to them what all of those things are. Um, I make it clear to them that it is not a substitute in all cases, it can be sometimes, but it is not a substitute for medicine. Um, I've learned over the years, Allie, that's something that parents sometimes don't always acknowledge that that's what they want. Um, and so I bring it up right off the bat. I say that, you know, the first month, we're going to leave the medicines the same. Um, but if things go well, if the seizures are improving uh, and they don't have to be seizure free, they just have to be improving, uh, we might start to lower the medications one at a time. Um, but I bring that up right away. I bring it up the first time I meet the families because otherwise I, I have learned over the years that there's uh, disappointment, there's a misunderstanding that you know the diet's gonna start and all the medicines, sometimes many medicines are gonna stop uh, and that's not true. So I explain that to them. I do you know, talk about the side effects and I tell them that during the admission, we're gonna teach them all about them in much more detail. But I say that most of the time, the side effects are preventable. Uh, if they do occur, we can treat them. And usually that's not why we stop the diet. Um, and then I usually then give them options for when we, we do our admissions in groups. So I tell them we may have an opening in March or we may have an opening in April, for example, and make sure it works with their schedule. I talk to them about their home life. I say, you know, who's who's at home? Are there other kids at home? You know, who's the who's the cook at home? Um, you know, I just sort of make small talk, chat about those kind of things. And, you know, of course, before I've even met the family, I've probably talked to the neurologist or whoever's referring the child and just make sure it's appropriate, right? Do they have a situation that the diet would be helpful for? Um, is their nutrition guaranteed? You know, that's probably one of the major reasons that I might say no is, you know, the child is losing weight and we're really worried about their nutritional status. Uh, yeah, starting a, a diet therapy may not be the best idea until that's stabilized. Uh, I try to do all that in advance of meeting the family, but assuming they're appropriate and the family is interested, then usually I give them a little bit of reading material and I tell them, you know, we'll see them for the admission. Understanding a little bit more about the diet now, how have you seen the diet change from right early 2000s to now being 2024? Oh, wow. Yeah. And, you know, and it goes back even further than that, Allie. I mean, the you know, we just had the 100 year anniversary of the ketogenic mm -hmm. diet uh, in 2021. It was um, created in 1921 at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, by uh, an endocrinologist, Dr. Russell Wilder, who knew that being on a high fat, low carb diet would induce a state of ketosis. Um, and that is one of the many theories as to why the diet works. It's not the only theory. Uh, probably great for another podcast is how it works, right? But Dr. Wilder said, hey, you know, I think that, you know, we know that fasting, we know that, you know, this kind of state um, can be induced by this diet. And we knew that fasting for many years could be helpful for epilepsy. And there's actually still some science about that too. Um, and so that was 1921. And uh, things really exploded quickly after that. Um, lots of research, lots of papers, children, adults, um, that the diet could be helpful in about half of the children in which it started, which still 100 years later is still the truth today, that usually about half the children who go on it will have at least a 50% reduction in seizures, and usually about 10-15% can become seizure-free. 
Um, so in the 1920s, 1930s, 1940s, it was extremely popular, mostly at major academic centers, mostly in children, even though initially, again, some of the data was really good for adults. Um, it really just took off for children. Um, I think there was a perception that it was just easier in children. And so that kind of you know, stuck for various reasons. Um, and then what kind of happened in the 1940s and 1950s was sort of a combination of factors. There were new drugs coming on the market um, that were perceived as modern medicine and that the diet was sort of, you know, old and, and you know, antiquated. Uh, there definitely was sort of a lack of the next generation being mentored, something I'm very passionate about through through my role with the education committee, which I know you're part of too, Ali, is, yeah. you know, mentoring mentoring that next generation and teaching new people how to do the diet. And in the 1950s and 60s, that just did not happen. And so a lot of the experts kind of retired and the diet in many ways retired with them. Mm -hmm. um, and so it really took, you know, very select centers in um, the United Kingdom, in the United States, in the 1990s, and then early 2000s to really reinvigorate the diet with research, um, the Charlie Foundation and Matthew's Friends, two parent support groups, really got the word out, um, sponsored a lot of the research, created websites with recipes, um, and really kind of paved the way for the current modern era. Um, and so, yeah, you know, you know, when I was a, a resident, you know, in the late 1990s, early 2000s, you know, the diet was you know, not in a great place. It was starting to be used more often, but we were not on the agenda at the American Epilepsy Society. There were very few articles being published, usually from single centers only, only in children. Um, most of the research was just saying that it worked at their institution. It wasn't really asking some of the tougher, maybe in, in some ways more interesting questions. There were no randomized controlled trials. Um, it was really being kind of perceived as a diet of last resort. And I think what happened sort of in the early 2000s was young, excited neurologists, dietitians, really kind of collaborated, you know, which is, you know, a word that, you know, I don't use lightly. Collaboration is a lot of work. Um, working together, you know, not just writing your own papers, but submitting together, combining the data, going through all the work to do that. Um, and really, again, asking some really tough, tough questions. Um, a lot of the diet is based on tradition, tradition going again, again, back to the 1920s. And, you know, to question that tradition, you know, in some ways was heresy, you know, like fasting, right? Of course, you have to fast, well, you know, maybe not. <laughs> um, Dr. Berquist, you know, and the, and the team from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, were, they questioned that and said, look, if you look at the outcomes in a randomized way, fast or no fast, it's the same. Um, you know, starting the diet gradually instead of over a few days also seems to be effective. Um, we now have five different ketogenic diets. They all work. They're all probably about the same. Um, these are things that 20 years ago, nobody would have really you know, envisioned being an option, but it, you know, it was questioning, debating, um, you know, and some of these ideas that were thought to be, you know, just kind of wild have now turned out to be the status quo. Uh, you know, fasting is a great example. For the most part, most centers don't fast anymore. Mm. Um, amazing. It is amazing. And Kind of to your point, many centers are using the diet to treat epilepsy or other type of seizure conditions, but how do you think that centers might adjust that practice to accommodate for other conditions, you know, like 
migraines, cancer, bipolar disorder, other things like that. So, yeah, you know, Allie, it's, it's definitely the future now. I mean, well, I say that it's, it's the present, um, Mm -hmm. You know, they they've known for many, many years that a lot of the seizure medications uh, that we use for um, patients with epilepsy are also effective for other things. So, you know, migraine, a lot of the migraine drugs are anticonvulsants. A lot of our medicines that we use for bipolar disorder, mood stabilization are some event of our seizure medications. Um, and so, you know, these drugs were designed for epilepsy, but they're being used for lots of other things. And it makes sense, right? Why would the diet, which is helpful for epilepsy, maybe not be, you know, completely outrageous to think about for some of these other conditions. And so most of the work recently has been on neurologic conditions, specifically ones that have really taken off have been cancer, migraines, uh, dementia. Um, Those are really kind of taking off. And one of the fastest growing ones has been what they're now calling metabolic psychiatry, using it for bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, using it for psychiatric conditions. And these are very complicated fields. I I am a neurologist. (laughs) I specialize in kids. Um, I don't know much about cancer and I don't know much about bipolar, but, you know, we're all learning pretty quick. Um, Most of the specialists in these fields are asking us for advice. They're asking us to collaborate. They're asking us for ways to study uh, the diet for these conditions, because, you know, just trying it and saying it works is is not going to convince people. It's certainly not going to convince physicians. Uh, we really need those clinical trials to say, who best does it work for, for which kind of cancer, for which specific psychiatric condition? Um, when should we start it? In the algorithm, do we try three psychiatric meds, two psychiatric meds? I mean, these are questions we really just don't know yet. Um, but there's some really smart people in all of these fields um, looking at looking at diets. It's exciting. Mm. Speaking of smart people in, in the field, right, Eric, you're one of those. So if you had to say something to yourself more than 20 years ago when you were starting out in the field, what would that be? Oh, boy. <laughs> First of all, thanks for calling me smart. I appreciate it. <laughs> you know, um, what would I have told myself? You know, patience, mm-hmm. I think maybe. You know, back then, you know, I, I think like a lot of us in the field, we were very impatient. We're like, you know, the word needs to get out, you know, and it's sort of, again, putting, you know, the horse, you know, before the cart, you know, mm-hmm. you, you need to do those trials. And we did them. We did them, of course. But, you know, there were times when you'd go to meetings and, you know, someone would be up there lecturing and never mention the diet for something we knew it was very helpful for. And, you know. I think we all got a little flustered. We all got a little angry. And, you know, I would have probably told myself, just get the papers out. These people are going to be convinced. And they were, you know, but they 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 needed the data. You know, they need, there are people who really, they, they need to see the published evidence. Um, and it just takes time. It takes time for, for any field to advance. Um, and in ways, that's what we're telling a lot of our uh, colleagues in some of these fields other than epilepsy. We're like, you, you got to be patient. You know, you're not going to convince all the psychiatrists that this is effective for bipolar until these studies get done. I I know it's true. I believe it's true. I know you believe it's true. But um, and it's not to say you can't, you know, get these trials going and start patients on it. But to convince the large population, it just takes time. It takes time. Definitely. And and time is sometimes so precious in this field and, and 
is oftentimes in, in limited quantities. And so um, one of the things that I was kind of wondering is, you know, when you have a family who is, is really in a tough place and time isn't on their side and, you know, speaking to the concept of being patient, right. That's for us as clinicians, but also for the families, I think a little bit too. Um, what are kind of some of the things that you have done or have said to families that help comfort them during that time or help them maybe see the light at the end of the tunnel for the diet? No, that's, you know, I, I, boy, my, my approach Allie, you know, is I, I try to have them meet with as many people as possible. Right. Because I think, you know, information coming from me, you know, is one thing, right? I'm a neurologist. I tend to really kind of go to the data, right? If they say, well, how long does it take to work? I say, well, you know, the data would say, <laughs> you know, we usually, we see improvement, you know, in average about 14 days. And, you know, when these children have difficulties during the admission week, which definitely happens, um, I tell them this happens, the data would suggest they're going to still do well. Uh, the data would say, you know, this happens in about half of the children who start the diet. I, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a scientist at heart, you know, so I, I, and there's so much data on the diet now, I, I tend to do that. But I also know my limitations and I'll, I'll bring my dietitian Zahava in and, you know, she has a different perspective of like having seen, you know, 20 years of children go on the diet and she's like, they can do this. Let's work together. Let's find the foods they're going to like. Um, and, you know, the other thing is, you know, besides having social workers, having my nurse get involved is, mm -hmm. is other parents, you know, um, I, there's only so much I think I can say as a neurologist, but when another parent who's done this before, you know, can speak to a family and kind of calm them down and tell them they've been through this and tell them it's hard that they know it's going to be a tough first month, um, they trust them. They, they probably believe them more than me. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. you know, we, we have a whole cadre of parents that, you know, we can, um, you know, get uh, involved during admissions and even before we even start the diet, just to talk to the families and tell them that they can do this. Um, it's, it's an interesting time, Allie, you know, even though, again, the ketogenic diet is sort of popularized for weight loss, you know, I think families now, maybe it's because of the internet or, I don't know, you know, it's it's hard to know exactly, but I, I find them having a little more of a hard time lately than they used to. And I think they, maybe it is, they're going on the internet, they're, they're seeing these like complicated, um, very detailed recipes mm -hmm. and they, they just, they worry. And I think we try to tell them it can be done very simply, you know, they don't have to make a different meal, you know, every day of the week, you know, they can, if the child likes a certain meal, they can repeat it over and over again. We we're trying to make it more simple, but I think, I think the world as, as a whole is making it more complicated. I don't know. So it's almost like families are inundated with resources, the internet, social media, there's tons of bloggers and things that are, you know, providing really helpful information, but sometimes too much is too much, you know, and I've seen yeah. definitely families get overwhelmed, particularly when they hear a lot of information about the diet, but then also trying to learn about it on their own. Sometimes that information doesn't always align. And that also can, I feel like contribute to some of that confusion and, and that sense of feeling overwhelmed. You mentioned a lot of great resources that families can plug into. And I think that that could be a whole separate episode in the future, you know, connecting families to different resources that are really helpful. But one of the resources I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about is inks, um, you know, when it was founded, what it tended for and our goals moving forward, the different committees, et cetera. 
Sure. Yeah. So we're we're really excited and proud of Inks. Uh, it was an idea that probably goes back about five, six years ago, um, but Inks officially formed in 2021 and really kicked off last year um, at our San Diego Ketogenic Diet Conference. And INCS, as you mentioned, it stands for the International Neurologic Ketogenic Society. Um, and we even have a logo and we have a website. That's a neuroketo.org. And so INCS was created to be a society for those of us in the ketogenic community that are engaged in science and research using it for neurologic conditions. I mean, in a nutshell, that's kind of who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, we are not, uh, at least right now, trying to be a support group. Um, we're not trying to take over from Charlie Foundation or Matthew's Friends and providing some of that parent support. We we may be sort of a, a go-between. We might have some of those resources eventually on our website, um, just like the American Epilepsy Society does or the International League Against Epilepsy. We're sort of modeled on those societies where the idea is to kind of really create a cohesive, collaborative community of ketogenic diet-minded scientists, neurologists, dietitians out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the primary goal, I mean, what really INCS was initially formed to do was really to help um, coordinate and plan our meetings. Mm-hmm. So the meetings go back uh, to 2008. Uh, the first one was held in Scottsdale, Arizona, and had about 250 people together who were like-minded neurologists and dietitians uh, to talk about the ketogenic diet as it really was becoming popularized. And we've been having these meetings every two years. um, And these meetings have been mostly run by the Charlie Foundation and Matthew's friends. But I think, you know, the time has come for our group as a society to kind of take our own ownership of these meetings, uh, dictate what the scientific content is, the posters, the abstracts, uh, awards, various things that come through this meeting. Um, And so they're still, you know, the founding sponsors of our society, these parent support groups. But, you know, the the primary, I think, purpose of INCS back when we envisioned it was to really kind of run the meetings. Mm. And so the meeting that was just held in San Diego um, this past, uh, I think it was September, yeah, September uh, 2023, was really the first official meeting kind of from top to bottom run by INCS. And hopefully more in the future, we'll continue to do that. Um, there's a lot of other great ideas for inks. I think, you know, the idea would also be research, right? If mm-hmm. if someone has a great research idea through inks, they could communicate and connect with hundreds or not thousands of other people who might be interested in that project. Um, there is, you know, certainly a lot of advocacy that we can do to medical students, to dietitian students, to other societies. There are a lot of other societies, both in epilepsy, both in neurology, also in the low carb world, you know, that are looking to us for advice. And, you know, we can be that group um, that these societies, other societies can go to. Um, There are also some companies that are interested in the ketogenic diet. Um, They make formulas, they make different products, and we can also kind of help them in order to say, will this product be helpful? Uh, Do they want to test these products? Uh, There's a lot of industry interest in what we do that the society can, can help with. Thank you so much, Eric. That is an awesome summarization of Inks. Um, tell me a little bit more about the education committee. I know, you know, we're both on it together, but I'd love to hear a little bit from your perspective what the goal of at least that particular committee is. 
Sure. Yeah. So, you know, this is, this is my favorite committee, (laughs) (laughs) not, not just because I helped start it, but uh, I really do believe that it's, it's sort of near and dear to my, my mission for inks is Mm -hmm. education, mentorship. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the education committee um, is maybe one of the most active committees among the, I think there's about 10 or 11 committees just so far, and there probably is more to come for inks. Um, but the education committee is sort of designed again to kind of foster education among professionals uh, in the ketogenic diet field. And what we have done at least so far as inks has been kind of in its infancy is really been mostly kind of helping advise and then eventually endorse other trainings, conferences, webinars, um, even some written materials and and this podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, So people have come to us saying, hey, I have this meeting that we're doing. We're doing a ketogenic diet training in Italy. We're doing a conference in Vietnam. Um, What do you think about having Inks endorse it? Give us some advice uh, and then they can use our logo on these meetings. And so we've endorsed probably about 15 different meetings, trainings, and different materials over the last two years. Um, it's been really great for us to see all of what's being done around the world, some pretty amazing conferences and trainings. Um, and just, you know, it, it's just an exciting thing to be part of. I suspect eventually the education committee may make their own materials. We may do some of our own trainings of professionals, some of our own uh, webinars, some different sessions that may be specific to the education committee, but held at the biannual meeting. So, for example, like a, a an afternoon session for young neurologists and dietitians in the field that are interested in like learning more and then collaborating. Um, at least right now, we are not taking the specific ownership of the biannual meetings. That's actually uh, the scientific program committee that handles the biannual meetings, which are kind of a, a, a big job in and of itself. The education committees is distinct from that. Um, but we meet periodically. Um, we have a robust new set of members. Um, Dr. Marissa Armenio from Buenos Aires is the new chair. Um, I'm the outgoing chair uh, of our committee. Um, there's you, there's me, there's Dr. DiLorenzo from Italy, Dr. Call, who's actually a dietitian and a PhD from Australia, uh, Dr. Bono from Rochester, Kelly Faltersack, who's a dietitian from Wisconsin, Dr. Scora, uh, a neurologist uh, from Los Angeles, uh, Victoria Whiteley, a dietitian from England, uh, Kagla Fenton from uh, Philadelphia, a dietitian, and Maria uh, Soto Blanquell. Um, who's also a dietitian from Mexico. We have a really robust international group of experts all interested in educating our ketogenic diet professionals. Uh, Inks is, is growing and we're looking for new members. Membership, uh, of course, has its benefits. Um, it will help get you a discount at the biannual meeting. Um, it gets you um, the PDF newsletters that we are putting out that have news about the ketogenic diet world and society. It will give you access to our mailing list and our email mailing list. So if there's someone you want to reach out to, you can log in and find out who they are and where they are in the world. Um, You can be part of committees. So if you're a member of INCS, you can be a member of these committees. And I think for all of us in our careers, trying to advance and trying, you know, to do good things in science, it's just a real important thing to be part of. For our listeners, you know, you mentioned that the education committee is, you know, 
willing to review resources or conferences or symposiums and endorse them. Are there any types of resources that anybody who's listening can submit in for review um, or kind of what does that process look like if anyone feels like they have a really great process they want to get some feedback or endorsement on? No, sure. Yeah. So, you know, at least right now, primarily what we are endorsing are conferences, trainings, um, uh, you know, that kind of activity that mm -hmm. is against about that is educational. Now, we've been approached sometimes by people who have like a flyer. Sometimes it's an industry uh, liaison, someone who says, hey, I want to use this for my materials, um, training resources, uh, written documentations. We, we've, we have endorsed those before, but for the most part, again, it's more of the, I guess, sort of uh, um, live trainings or recorded trainings that uh, our committee has been primarily um, deciding to help uh, give endorsement to. If you have a, a, something you, you want to run past us, you would like to have Inks endorsement and be able to use the Inks logo, um, the best thing to do is reach out to Dr. Marissa Armenio. Um, and uh, you can find her certainly on the internet, um, but uh, you can reach out to me or Allie uh, and we can get you in touch with her. Um, you can reach out pretty much to anybody at Inks uh, through our website, neuroketo.org, and we'll connect you through to Marissa, who can then put it through the process uh, that our education committee goes through in order to gain endorsement. Awesome. Well, with that, I think we're going to wrap up our very first episode. Um, so I hope for all of our listeners, you've kind of enjoyed this, you know, brief but broad summarization of the ketogenic diet, kind of how it's evolved over the years, um, resources that are available to providers, clinicians in the field, and kind of how to get involved and continue to progress with the field. This podcast, among many other resources in the field, is just to help support us in all the awesome work that we're doing. Kind of the goal of this podcast is just that we put something out every other month, every month, just depending on availability, um, just covering different topics within the keto field. And we plan to have neurologists, scientists, dietitians, parents, everybody on this podcast. So we're open to your ideas and your feedback. If you have anything you want to say about this podcast, you think that you might be a really great next guest on the podcast, I'd love for you to email me at ketotalkpodcast at gmail.com. And again, I'll list that address as well in the podcast notes from this session. Again, we would love to hear your feedback on anything you'd like to see moving forward or things that you particularly loved about this session that we can do again. But until next, guys you guys it was awesome first podcast and we're looking forward to the future <music>